Welcome to the Wild Health Podcast. The EU-funded Wild Health Project aims to conduct research on pervasive e-health and establish a sustainable network of research and dissemination across Europe. You can know more about the project on our webpage wildhealth.eu, YouTube or Twitter. Our guest speaker today is Katia Pesquita, an assistant professor in computer science at Faculdade de Ciências da Universidade de Lisboa. In this talk, she will discuss what knowledge science is and why is it key to assess the trustworthiness of biomedical data and AI outcomes. Let's dive in. Thank you very much for the invitation and thank you to everyone in the audience who made time to be here today. It's very nice to see a few uh, well-known names in the audience. Uh, so today I would like to talk to you about trust in artificial intelligence applications in the biomedical and clinical domains and how knowledge science can play a role in trust building for these applications. I will explain a little bit what knowledge science is, give examples on how um, the lack uh, of the fundamentals that knowledge science supports can hinder trust in AI-based uh, uh, applications in health care and biomedical research. And then I will finish with two examples of ongoing work that we have been doing in this area and that highlight the different opportunities that we have for applying knowledge science for trust in AI. So trust in AI, so I've, I've, I've spent a few time looking for definitions of what trust in AI means. And I quite like this one from a paper from last year where its uh, foundations are that the user successfully comprehends how an AI model is able to arrive at a specific result, a specific outcome. And that then the way that that model works uh, and the way that it arrives at the outcome is matching to with the user's prior knowledge. So it's not just a matter of understanding how the model arrives at a particular result, but also how much does that result match with the user's expectations? Because if it is too far out and the user does not understand how that unexpected result happens, then trust is much harder to achieve. And so this means that in the first instance, we need to be able to represent how a model works, so the model's processes, but the second part is usually only captured at the evaluation stage. So uh, when we ask users, does this outcome of this AI model match with your expectations? Do you trust it? Do you feel comfortable in trusting this decision? But when we have data that is complex, multi-domain, heterogeneous, incomplete, and ambiguous, which are all features of data in biomedical and healthcare, applications, these two aspects of trust in AI become even more complex to achieve. And so instead of just needing to represent a model's processes, we now also need to represent the inputs and the outputs of the model because they in themselves are sufficiently complex that the user needs to comprehend them as well if the user is to trust the AI workings. And in the matter of if the model's outcomes match the user's prior knowledge, well, in fields such as medical research and healthcare, a single user seldom has 
the full knowledge about the phenomena that they are encountering or that the AI is targeting. So instead of matching just a user's prior knowledge, what, the, what we need to do is to match the scientific context of that AI outcome. So we need a way to represent the scientific context. So everything that is currently known about the specific phenomena that the AI is trying to capture. So we need these two things. We need to be able to represent the data that the AI model is processing, the output that the AI model gives you, and also the processes of the AI model. But then we also need to go broader and represent the scientific context in which these decisions of the AI models are made. So this brings us to a long time challenge, which is how can we represent the meaning of data? Because we need to represent the data in its scientific context. And this is a big challenge in the biomedical domain. So for instance, to represent uh, DNA, we use a very simple representation, which is the sequence of the letters that represent the molecules in DNA. In this case, we have a protein. It's the sequence of a protein made up by a sequence of 20 different characters that represent the 20 different amino acids. If we want to represent the structure, maybe we need a 3D model, which is much more complex. But still, sequence and structure are actually relatively easy to represent. When we try to represent more complex phenomena, such as the function of a protein or a disease, or an infectious process, then we hit a bottleneck of representation. So usually it's represented by plain natural language text in scientific papers, in reports, in uh, electronic health records. And so we lose the simplicity of the computational representation that for instance, a sequence of characters brings us, but we gain a lot more complexity and nuance in the meaning of the data. But we need to have a way to represent this complexity in a way that is computationally amenable so we can then use that representation to, in this particular application that we're discussing today, represent the data and the scientific context and the processes of the AI models so we can afford this trust building in, in biomedical and clinical applications. And for the past, I would say, couple of decades, ontologies have become this way to afford the computational representation of the meaning of data. So ontologies give you formal definitions of the concepts in a domain and how they relate to each other. So here we have a very simple and very small example of a clinical ontology where each concept represents a clinical finding Concepts are related to each other in a hierarchical fashion. So some concepts are more specific and they are at subconcepts or subclasses of more general concepts. We can have different types of relations between these concepts. So in this case, we have the ESA, which is a subclass relation, but we also have that fever due to infection has a pathological process that is an infection. So we have more complex types of relations between the concepts. And when we have data, and in this case, it's patient records 
that is described according to the concepts of a ontology, then we have those meaningful descriptions of the data that are computationally amenable and that we can work over. And we right now, because for the last two decades, the bioontologist community has worked hard and deep on developing these computational representations of the concepts in the very many domains that compose the biomedical field. We now have over 900 biomedical ontologies that describe over 40 million concepts in this domain. And so this is an incredible opportunity because we have the core of the scientific knowledge in this area represented in a way that we can more easily explore computationally. And ontologies are thus in this sense essential for something uh, that you may have heard of before, which is beautiful data, which is data that is clean, reliable, meaningful and interoperable. And they are also essential for this uh, desiderata for data, which is the fair principles that data is findable, accessible, interoperable and reusable. So not only are ontologies helpful in the sense they can represent meaning, and I will show you how that representation can be useful for trust building in AI applications, but they are also useful at a more fundamental level when we are working with complex and heterogeneous data. So there are three main uh, topics that make biomedical AI in dire need of knowledge science. So we have large amounts of data that are in non-standard formats still, and they need to be processed, they need to be interpreted and merged and integrated if we are to realize the full potential of cross-domain biomedical AI. And this is tightly coupled with the heterogeneous nature and complexity of the data. And current machine learning and AI approaches are mostly processing this data in very large volumes, but completely disregarding the knowledge that we already have of this domain. And finally, the third, and what brings us here today, is that this lack of explainability is hindering trust. And so knowledge science is actually key to tackle these three challenges, and especially the last one. Um, one important aspect in trust in AI is bias in machine learning pipelines. And here there's an example from a recent paper of the different stages of a machine learning pipeline in healthcare and the pitfalls uh, in bias that, um, that actually happen in, one, in each of these steps. And I highlighted in blue those that I feel that knowledge science can bring a larger contribution. So in the first step, of data collection and data preparation, there is an important step to mitigate bias, which is to accurately report and compare patient characteristics from the training data. We will see in a little bit how this accurate representation of the meaning of the data is important to avoid pitfalls. Then at the model evaluation stage, there are two areas that I believe knowledge science can uh, help mitigate bias in. And one is to support explainability to inspect the decisions that the AI models are making. And the other one is to allow a comparison against prior knowledge to see if it fits with the established scientific knowledge 
the decision that the AI model is making. And finally, at the deployment stage, uh, to enable a continuous monitoring of patient characteristics to see if they still fit with what the model was trained for. So I believe that to assess the trustworthiness of biomedical AI and the trustworthiness of the full pipeline, in particular in machine learning applications, we require context at three levels. We require data context, which is a representation of data provenance and whatever transformations and processing that that data is subject to. We require domain or background knowledge, which is a representation of the scientific context that is embedded in the data and application that is being targeted. And also user context, because different users will trust the outcomes of AI based on their own different expectations and background. So first, I would like to delve a little bit into data context. And the idea of data context is, is that we can augment the explanations of the AI outcomes by affording uh, a description of data creation and processing context. And this means in the context of knowledge science that we will afford this rich contextual semantic layer to the underlying data because we are going to describe the data using domain ontologies and perhaps even building large knowledge graphs that allow the data to be integrated with this semantic rich description. But at the other side of things is that we still need to preserve uncertainty and highlight potential ambiguity and incompleteness at the data level and ontology representations for uncertainty, provenance, and incompleteness are also in development. So what we have here is this opportunity that we enrich the data with the meaning of the data, but we also highlight these potential pitfalls in the transformations of the data or in the provenance of the data and use them to augment the explanations. So I have here a very small example from recent work. So as probably some of you are aware, in the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, it was hard to make a diagnosis. We still didn't have the PCR tests. And so a lot of the diagnosis was attempted to be made using um, chest x-rays and CT scans. And since then, there have been a plethora of works that attempt to use machine learning over radiological imaging to uh, distinguish between healthy and COVID-19 patients, or even between patients suffering from other respiratory tract infection diseases and COVID-19 um, patients. But in a recent work, it has been found that 25% of the works that developed machine learning approaches that targeted COVID-19 diagnosis based on chest x-rays and CT scans actually used as control pediatric pneumonia images. And here you have the pediatric images that were used in control and here an example of COVID-19 images. And so it is highly likely that the good performance that these works reported was not because they were actually very good at uh, being able to diagnose COVID-19, but rather very good at distinguishing adults and children's chest x-rays. And the reason that this happened is because this data set 
the pediatric pneumonia images data set was not described with metadata, with rich metadata, when it was shared uh, in many different repositories, including Kaggle. And the uh, researchers that used it as control were unaware of the provenance of this data. They were unaware of the metadata. They were unaware that these were pediatric images. And since they, since they were also not experts in um, pediatric radiology, they were unable just by looking at the images to even detect any differences. And so this huge source of bias was introduced in 25% of the works published in 2020 and 2021 that uh, targeted COVID-19 diagnosis using imageology. Now for domain knowledge context, this means that we are going to try to contextualize an explanation for an AI outcome within existing knowledge. And in the case of biomedical healthcare applications, that means within scientific knowledge. And a way to do this is that we can include this prior knowledge into the explanations by linking or describing the data with ontologies. And for the cases where the um, applications are cross-domain, and this is increasingly the case in areas such as systems medicine and personalized medicine, we need to also enrich the contextual semantic layer by using different ontologies and linking those different ontologies with relations across domains. I'm going to give you a small example of how domain knowledge context can be key for trust. So one of the um, uh, interesting uh, apl applications uh, is the integration of data sets from different origins. And here we have an example of something that was given to uh, biomedical experts to validate the result of a data integration algorithm. And in this case, they were given these two terms. So in data set one, we had term gingiva. In data set two, we had the term gum. And our data integration algorithm gave a result of 0.98% similarity between these two terms. And without any more information, the experts would tend to rate this as a correct prediction because a synonym of gingiva is gum. But what happens when you give more context? So in this case, we know that the term gingiva was actually referring to an anatomical part, but gum was actually referring to a chemical substance and not an anatomical part. If you give this context of the domain knowledge, then you will not say that the algorithm is correct because gingiva and chewing gum are most certainly not the same thing. And finally, we also have the user context. And so um, this, this is actually uh, an example from current work that we have where a biochemist and a clinician rated the similarity of two proteins as very different. Because for the biochemist, it was important that the two proteins actually perform the same molecular function within the cell, and thus they were highly similar. Whereas for the clinician, since they were not involved in the same diseases or in related diseases, they were actually very different. So my proposal is that knowledge science can support these three aspects, 
data, the domain and user context. And we saw a little bit how that could happen in the previous examples. So this means that going forward, when we require for next-gen biomedical AI, the integration of complex and diverse data, all of these aspects of trust for data and domain and user need to be able to scale across uh, uh, different granularities and different domains. So in personalized medicine, we are looking at molecular data, cellular anatomy, phenotype and disease, clinical features, and even up to environmental factors. And all of these different granularities and scopes need to be considered when we are targeting trust in biomedical applications. So we have currently in biomedical AI and specifically in the applications that cover, for instance, personalized medicine, hundreds of very large files that describe a single patient and they cover genome sequencing, mutations, uh, the transcriptome, clinical aspects, drug trials, a vast array of different types of data that are very large, that are not linked together. And so what we need then is to go back to the question, what happens when data is complex, multi-domain, heterogeneous, incomplete, and ambiguous? Because really, does knowledge science solve all of these? One ontology is not enough. To have your data described according to one perspective is not enough when we are targeting systems biology, systems medicine, personalized medicine. What we need, what we require are holistic representations that are able to capture the spectra of different perspectives over your patient. So we need actually to use different ontologies within the same scope, but also across different aspects. And so what we need is a way to create these holistic representations that is able to cover the multiple domains, to ensure rich semantic integration, and to provide high quality links between the data. And so if we are going to describe our data with ontologies, this means that we will need to be able to align multiple ontologies to find links even when the domains are not the same. So we are not talking about finding equivalence links that two concepts are the same, but rather more complex. So for instance, is this a symptom of a certain disease? And we also need in the end to support human interaction because these are high stakes applications. You want to have a high quality end result. So you will need to find a way to support human interaction but since you have such large data sets and also so many different ontologies, we know 14 million concepts, you need to find a way to balance the cognitive overload and the informatives necessary to support human interaction. So this means that in one point, if we want to build this integrated holistic representation of biomedical data, we need to rethink the way that we link different ontologies. So we need to perform holistic ontology alignment of multiple ontologies to find more complex relations between the ontology to ensure semantic integration that is sufficiently rich 
to support the AI biomedical applications and in particular the explanations, but also to involve humans in the loop of this alignment process to build the holistic representations. So now I'm going to tell you a little bit about two different uh, applications in these areas. And the first is uh, a EU project that we have been working on for the past year uh, and a few months, which targets explainable AI for personalized oncology. So this is the CADI project. And in the CADI project, what we are doing is that we are trying to give uh, recommendations for what are the best drugs for a particular patient of renal cancer. And we do this by combining a knowledge graph that represents all of the data that the project collects. And this data is data, uh, genomics data, mutations data, transcriptomics data, imaging data, and also clean, clinical data. And then AI black box algorithms analyze all of this data, produce a uh, recommendation. And that recommendation is then integrated back into the knowledge graph to produce an explanation. So from our side, the holistic representation building point of view, the representing the inputs and outputs of an AI model, it looks like this. So we take very many biomedical ontologies, so up, up more than 20 different ones that cover different domains, we take all of those hundreds of data sets, we link them all together, and we build this knowledge graph. So this representation of data in form of a graph that contains the semantic richness and the semantic descriptions of that data. That can serve as input to the AI system, but the outcomes of the AI system, the prediction for patient X, you should give drug Y, gets represented back into the knowledge graph and this is then explored to produce the explanation. So we have been building this very large knowledge graph, and we have so far used holistic matching techniques that we developed that uh, combine clustering and uh, semantic overlap computation to link 28 ontologies. So here you can have sense of how similar these ontologies are between each other in this, in this heat map. And you, of course, see a few clusters of ontologies that are more similar to each other. So these are the ontologies that cover more or less the same domains. But then we also have links across these different clusters that allow you for that semantic richness of links across domains. And we, at the same time, we have also been building a tool that allows for human interaction and human validation of this process. And so this is a tool that represents the context of a decision that needs to be validated by experts. And experts can use this tool to see the context of the concepts that uh, have been aligned automatically. And then they can rate an alignment as correct, incorrect, or unsure, depending on on the context that they can explore within the ontology. So we have this huge knowledge graph of data. So we have this representation of the inputs and the outputs. And so here, for instance, we have the green patient, which is the patient for whom we have an AI recommendation, a particular draft, sunitinib. 
And now we want to use this to build those explanations. And remember that we want to have these uh, support of knowledge science to target those uh, areas of the machine learning pipeline. So we want to be able to report on patient characteristics. We want to be able to explain the logical functioning of the models. We want to be able to see if the outcomes match with prior knowledge, and then we want to be able to keep track of patient characteristics as the model is in deployment. So focusing on the first three, because this model is not yet in deployment, by having the patients and their data described within the knowledge graph, we can ask some very interesting questions to the knowledge graph. So one is how diverse is my data set in terms of patient features? Because one of the challenges here is when you are using different data sets in a common machine learning pipeline. So if we go back to our first example of data context, there were two different data sets that were being used for the positives and for the negatives, right? So the negatives were the pediatric images and the positives were uh, chest x-rays captured at a different hospital. And if you don't have accurate and rich descriptions of the data, then you cannot have a good description of that data to answer, for instance, how diverse is the data set? How representative is the data set? How balanced is the data set? Do you have any other spurious correlations going on? But by having this integration of all of your data into a single overarching semantic representation model, then you can have ask these questions of the knowledge graph and measure actually the diversity, the similarity, the distribution of the different features of your input data. So one thing that you can do is use the knowledge graph to actually compute the similarity, for instance, between your negative and your positive cases. If at that first chest x-ray example, the data had been accurately described, then a simple measurement of similarity according to these semantic descriptions would have found out that actually the negative and positive cases were not um, similar in terms of their population characteristics, and so they were not a good uh, negative test set for that application. Another thing that you can get from the knowledge graph is how does the prediction match with current scientific knowledge? And here in this example, we can actually see that. So the AI recommendation does recommend the drug sunitinib. Okay, and it did this by looking at those hundreds of different files. But in the knowledge graph, there is a piece of evidence that says that current scientific knowledge actually supports this recommendation. And it is that patients that have a mutation in the bat oncogene, and this mutation actually promotes tyrosine kinase activity, which is inhibited by the drug. It doesn't mean that this is why this is a good drug for this patient, because the actual workings of the deep learning models are much more complex than this, but it does say that this prediction does match current scientific knowledge. And finally, we can also answer a question that is very commonly posed by medical doctors in their practice. I've had a patient 
similar to you that was treated with the same drug and responded well, so probably this is also a good option for you. But now, instead of having just the few data points that one can have in their own head to do this similarity calculation on the fly, we can interrogate a knowledge graph that is more than 1 million concepts large to answer how similar these two patients are and to actually support this decision of giving the same drug to another patient that has similarity across some interesting factors. And the other uh, case is protein-protein interaction prediction. So in protein-protein interaction prediction, based on features of proteins, machine learning models are able to predict whether those two proteins interact in the cell or not. But experts want to understand the biological mechanisms that underlie the natural phenomena. So we did this study where we represented proteins according to the gene ontology, which is an ontology that represents um, protein functions. And we represented pairs of proteins according to their similarity measured within the gene ontology. And those similarities were given as inputs to a genetic programming model that learned a model to predict protein-protein uh, interactions, but also outputting an understandable and interpretable model for PPI prediction. So just to give you a very quick example, so our best non-interpretable, non-explainable method achieves 91% weighted F measure, and our interpretable genetic program plus gene ontology similarity achieves 86 weighted average F measure. So there is some loss in, in performance, but what we gain is a model that fits with what is known in biology. So here is the model. The model is just a maximum of a number of different similarities computed with the gene ontology. And what this model shows is actually uh, a confirmation of what we already know from the biology, which is if the proteins participate in the same kinds of biological processes, then they are very likely to interact. And when they have low similarity for the biological processes, then they are less likely to interact. And this is a very simple and interpretable model that is also boosted by the similarities that encode the complexity of the representations of these proteins in actually quite simple terms. But what is more interesting about this is when it fails. So we have here two examples of when it fails. The first example is a false negative. So in this case, we predicted that there was no interaction when actually there was. And what we find out is that actually there was missing information from our underlying data set. And so we had no sufficient information to predict this protein-protein interaction. But this mismatch and looking at the explanation highlights that we are missing that information. But we also have interesting examples of false positives. So in this case, we predicted a interaction, but in our data set, that interaction was not recorded. And so this is interesting 
examples of negative connection at the end of the rather at unknowns. And what we found here is that for this pair that we have predicted with good confidence that it is in fact an interaction, there is some evidence that very similar proteins of the same family also interact. And so this is actually quite likely a true but still unknown protein-protein interaction. So to finish, uh, a great barrier to AI adoption in healthcare and biomedical research is lack of trust. And I do believe that knowledge science is the answer because trustworthy biomedical AI requires trustworthy data and trustworthy data requires semantics. So this work is actually uh, lots of years and lots of people doing lots of work with me. Uh, and a special thanks to my uh, present and past students without whom this would not have been possible. And if you would like to know more, we have here our webpage, or you can follow me on Twitter or email me to reach out. So thank you very much. Thank you, Katya. Clap on behalf of the audience. Um, thank you very much for the wonderful presentation. Let me add that Katya works here in the same lab as I do. So people that are participating in Web Health, if you want to reach out to Katya, uh, and eventually do things uh, in the context of the project and supported by the project, uh, we would be happy to uh, allow that and to give opportunities for that to happen. Um, so I think now it's time for questions. So does yes, the audience have questions? You can open your mic or just raise your hand and I'll, I'll call you. I will start with one while people think about their questions. So, and, I, and it's motivated by things that I've been seeing in the other seminars. So what we have been noting, in, for example, in this project that organizes the seminars, a lot of people do activity recognition. And so when I hear your last, um, so activity recognition based on sensors, for example, and when I, I hear your, your last words, for me, healthcare research and, and AI in healthcare is much more, uh, well, my world is much more related with low level, let's call it low level data, or uh, than the type of examples that you showed where you already have a tag or a characteristic, uh, some, some category that people fit in, or, or there is a term. So my, my, my question is that how you, and if you have an example or some insight on how can we go from these streams of data that are uh, more continuous and le maybe less higher level to get to the type of examples that you showed us here. I am very sorry to answer with a question. <laughs> but I need a little bit of clarification. So are you more interested in the uh, learning patient features from stream data or in explaining those patient features from stream data? Uh, let me give you an example. So we attach, 
sensors to people with neurodegenerative diseases and then by their gait patterns, uh, some features that are extracted from their gait patterns, we end up classifying people, the staging of the disease. Uh, well, there's imagine a deep learning model that mm -hmm. gives you uh, the stage of the disease by uh, what it was able to, to get from. We would also be interested in understanding comparison between patients and we have other data, but it's very fuzzy to me how all of this um, less structured data fits into this beautiful picture that you showed us here. Okay, so uh, I don't think that as is it fits easily uh, because it, it to be able to apply these knowledge science features, you would be a, you would need or you would require to have a representation of some of your patient features. I would assume that for some aspects, clinical aspects and scales and things like that, they are easily um, translated into this knowledge science uh, world because you anything that can be described in a conversation with words is more easily translated into these uh, concepts and then into a semantic model. But I think that there is an interesting application uh, by finding in the streams of data, what are the patterns, right? And have a pattern be represented by a concept and have sequences of patterns and have a, me a meaningful description of the sequences. So what is going on? What is the sequence? What comes first and what comes after? Those can be represented in ontological ways. I would say that you would have a first part where you would try to capture these patterns, but you need to know what those patterns mean. So you would need at least at some point to be able to train something to recognize a pattern that you know exists. So for instance, I don't know, uh, freezing and in Parkinson's disease. So if you say, okay, these are examples of freezing in my sensory data, and then you train something to detect that, and then you attach that label to that pattern in your sensory data, then I think that you can more easily build up to something like this. But I would assume that there are also many patterns that would be important to make any kind of uh, prediction or, or prognosis that are not easily labeled by an expert. And I think that that is uh, very much an, an open challenge. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so we have another question from Nuria. Nuria, uh, you can... Uh, open the mic or I can make it. Okay, go ahead. Oh, I, I'm, I have uh, lots of trouble hear in you. hearing you. Is it that better? It's okay. getting better. Can you talk again? Yeah, okay. Okay, so thank you for this super nice talk. I enjoyed it really, really much. So my question is, uh, um, I, I, I'm curious to know what are your thoughts about what is an explanation? Haha, that is a very interesting question that I tried to expertly avoid in my presentation because there is 
no really, really, really good definition. But I would say that if we go back to, to, um, to the first slide of what is trust, I would think that explanation is something that meets that criteria, that is able to explain how a model arrived at a, a given decision and how that model fits with prior knowledge. So the explanations that I showed you here for the personalized oncology part, they are not able to explain how the model arrives there. They are only able to explain how that decision fits with existing scientific knowledge. The second part for the protein-protein interaction, we, we do explain how the model works. The model in itself is the explanation. So that uh, beautiful formula of the maximum of the similarities that, that the genetic programming found out. So that is the explanation of how the model works. You just apply that and you get the answer. But the explanation is enriched by the other features that I show you. What is actually the most important similarities measured between the proteins that are contributing to that prediction? So you have the modeling itself is interpretable, but the explanation is actually augmented with these um, similarities at the different levels of, of the ontology. I don't know if that was good enough. <laughs> That's perfect. Thank you. Thank so you. Much. Well, other questions? Don't be shy. Okay, so uh, if there are no further questions, let's thank Katya once again. Uh, you can use your reaction icons. <laughs> uh, and thank you, Katya, very much thank you. for this. Uh, Thank and you I'll, very I'll much. Be... And I would just like to say, if anyone remembers a question after this is over, do email me or reach out on Twitter. I would be happy to continue the discussion uh, in other ways. Okay. So thank you very much. Thank you. So also remember that this, um, this talk will be available on the project YouTube channel. So in a, in a couple of days. And so you want to check something again, you'll be able to do that. Thank you. Thank you, Katya. Thank you, everyone. And see you next week. Bye-bye. Thank you.